Hello, thank you for listening to this podcast. I thank you so much for your support. If you'd like to be a supporter of this podcast and uh, if this is of benefit to you, please go to patreon.com slash Timothy Yap and we'll be uh, we'll love to hear from you and we'd love to have your support. It's patreon.com slash Timothy Yap. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thank you and God bless you. Father, as we reflect upon your word and looking forward into the future, give us again a vision of who you are, how great, mighty, and powerful you are. In his name we pray. Amen. If you have been to the city of Florence, you will see the statue of, uh, David, uh, um, of David by Michelangelo. It's a gorgeous 13 feet marble statue of King David from the Old Testament. It's one of the masterpieces that has been revered uh, over the years. But it is, uh, and it looks so real. And it always has been attributed to Michelangelo as the sculptor of this uh, piece of art. But he was not the first person to work on this piece. Neither was he the second. In fact, in the year 1464, the city of Florence commissioned a man called Duccino to sculpt the statue. He was supposed to sculpt 12 statues of the heroes of the Old Testament out of marble. But before he could start work, uh, after two years after his commission, this man passed away. Ten years later, the piece of marble that was supposed to sculpt out David left standing there because nobody knew what to work, how to work with this piece of marble. Rosalio was the next person that was commissioned to pick up uh, the marble and to work on it. Um, but unfortunately, while he worked on the marble, something happened and he stopped working. So for the next 25 years, uh, the piece of marble sat standing there. People walked past this piece of marble and all they could see was a piece of failure. All they could see was this piece of nothingness. The, and they walked past it every day for years and years and years. Finally, in 1501, a 26-year-old young man by the name of Michelangelo looked at the piece of, of failure, the piece of nothing, and he saw David inside that piece. So he asked the council, the city council, whether he could work on it. And he took this mass of marble and he later built this beautiful statue of King David. What caused Michelangelo to be different from the people around him that walked past this piece of marble for years and years? The difference lies in the eyes of Michelangelo. When he saw the piece of marble, he did not see a piece of failure, did not see a piece of nothingness, but he saw David in the piece of marble. He had eyes to see. Today we celebrate the 22nd church building anniversary. I have, uh, Jenny has just been laughing at the young people these days that they don't know how to count. I don't know how to count either. So I took up my mobile phone and I did some calculation. If you do 22 years times uh, uh, 52, you get 1,144. So that means that we have met in this church building 1,144 times. You have come 
some of us have journeyed throughout this entire, been through all this 1,144 services. Some of us have only been through 10. Some of us have only been through 60. Wherever numbers you have been through. We come each Sunday to sit here. What do you look out for? What do you see? There are many people, like just like the people of Florence, passed by the piece of marble. They saw it, but they only saw a piece of marble. When you come to church each Sunday, for the last 1,144 services that we had in this church building, what do you come to see? What do I come to see? What do you come to see? So I want to pause a little bit to think about this past, uh, to think about what do we come to see? I want to look at John chapter 20, the passage that uh, uh, Heather just read for us a little bit earlier in the service. And to look at what do we come to see when we come to worship as a congregation. Don't just come to church and leave. And come again and leave for 1,144 services and see nothing. Have eyes trained to see. Just like Michelangelo. Michelangelo stood above all his peers because he had eyes to see that in the piece of marble there was the statue of David. When you come to church, what do you come to see? I want to look at three things. We need to see three things when we come to church. Don't waste your Sundays. We've already had 1,144 services, so we will hopefully, by God's grace, we have more, a few thousand more. But what you come to see, let's make use of our time here wisely. I think from Scripture, God wants us to see three things when we gather with His Son, Jesus. And I want to get my thoughts out of John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23. In these few verses, let's see. What do we come to see? Number one, we should come to see Jesus as the Lord of all creation. That's the very first thing and the first thing that you need to see or try to see every time you come to church. That Jesus is the Lord of all creation. In our Bible study class on Revelation, I did mention that the Apostle John is a very careful writer. Of all the New Testament writers, John Baptist, the most careful writer, is very good with the words. And he uses his words very poignantly and very pointedly. How does John begin his gospel in John chapter 1 verse 1? Anarche and ho logos. In the beginning was the word. Anyone familiar with the Old Testament will remember that these are the words that echo Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created. John wants us to read his gospel just like we read the book of Genesis. And just as Genesis begins with God creating the world in seven days, how does John begin his gospel in John chapter 1? If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 1 verse 29. John keeps saying, the next day, then at verse 35 of chapter 1, the next day, then at 43, the next day. If you count the number of days that have been mentioned in John chapter 1 and John chapter 2, and you add them all together, if you're like me, you still need to use your mobile phone to calculate. It's not difficult to calculate. There are seven days mentioned all together. 
So John chapter 1 and 2 is fashioned very much like Genesis chapter 1. Just as God created the world in seven days, Jesus has come. And he's the creator. And he will create a new creation in seven days. And now we come to the end of John's gospel. Just as God created uh, as created in the New Testament, by his death and resurrection, Jesus has created a new creation. And now we read in John chapter 20, verse 19, the passage Heather just read for us with these words. They're very pointed words. Don't let them let you pass you by. He says, on the evening of that first day of the week. Let's pause and think for a moment. Jesus here is the creator that has started a new creation with his death and the resurrection. And this is the first day of the week. Remember, you need to understand that the, in the Bible, the day starts in the evening. So this is the start of the first day of Jesus' new creation. By his death and resurrection, he has brought about a new creation, as Paul puts it. So this is the very first evening, the very start of the new creation. What are we to look out for? What are we to see in this new creation? What, where are our eyes to see? What were the disciples doing? According to verse 19, they were together, uh, 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 locked behind doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And Jesus came among them and said, Peace be with you. Jesus is a very strange man. Because if I were Jesus and I've appeared to the disciples on the very first day of creation, of this new creation, and I see that my disciples are afraid, I will say to my disciples, don't be afraid. You are afraid of the Jewish people. I will get rid of them for you. I will get rid of them, kill them off. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, peace be with you. Why? The Greek word arane comes from the Hebrew word shalom, which means well-being. Jesus is saying here, relax. The Jewish leaders are scary. And I know you are behind closed doors because you are afraid of them. But I am the creator. I will give you more than just getting rid of the Jewish leaders. I will give you my well-being, my shalom, my peace. Because I am the creator. If I want them to perish, they will perish. If I want them to be alive, they will. If I want to protect you, I can. I created this world and I can do anything. That is why on the seventh day of creation, God rested. Not because God needed a break. Not because God was tired out and needed a snooze. The word for rest means a well-being. That God is so much in control of his own creation that we don't need to fear we can rest with him. And that's what Jesus is saying here. I am the creator. I created everything. Even the Jewish people whom you're afraid of. Relax. You are saved with me. <coughs> Dorothy Sayers is a British writer who wrote a series of detective novels. The main character in the detective novels is a man called Lord Peter Whimsey. Peter Whimsey is the main character. He's a detective, a very brilliant detective, but he was also an un unhappy, broken bachelor, never been married before. Dorothy says the writer herself was also unmarried. 
And when she was writing her novels, she fell in love with the character in the novel. She fell in love with this detective in the novel, in this character. She wanted to be with him. She wanted to heal him of his pain. But how could a writer fall in love with a character in your novel? That's such an absurd idea. It's a fictional character. But Dorothy Sayers had a very brilliant idea. What did she do? She loved the character so much. She wrote herself into the novel. She was the author anyway. She could do anything she wants. So she wrote herself into the series. Suddenly in the series, the mid-series of the novels, there was a lady by the name of Harriet Vane who showed up. Harriet Vane was very much like Dorothy Sayers herself. She also graduated from Oxford, just like Dorothy Sayers was. Uh, Harriet Vane also was a writer of mystery novels, just as Dorothy Sayers was. And, uh, and, and uh, Harriet Vane started to meet Lord Peter Wimsey. And they fell in love, they got married, and they lived heavily ever after. Many people ask Dorothy Sayers, how could you write yourself into your own novels? And she says, why not? I'm the creator of my own novels. I can do whatever I want. If I want to fall in love with the character I created, why not? Likewise, Jesus is the creator of this world. Jesus had to come into this world because he loves us so much. But how are we to notice him? How are we to know what he's like? How can he fall in love with us and rescue us from our sins? He wrote himself into it. And that's what the whole Gospel of John is about. It's about Jesus writing himself into creation and starting a new creation so that he can be with us. So that he can walk with us. So that in our fears, when we fear the Jewish leaders and hide behind closed doors and say, Oh, I'm so scared, I'm so scared. He comes to say to us, Shalom. Shalom. You are okay. Relax. Every Sunday when we come to meet as a church, that's what we should look out for. That Jesus is the Lord of this creation. That is not the money, not your boss, not your challenges, not uh, your work permit, not your visa, not uh, your car that controls you. But we are part of God's creation. That Jesus is our creator. That we can be safe with him. He wrote himself into the lives, our lives, so that he can love us and rescue us from sin. So the very first thing we need to look out for when we come to worship service, do not just come blindly and leave blindly and get nothing out of the service. Look for Jesus. Let the songs remind you that Jesus is the creator of this world. Let the message remind you. And that's what I as a pastor strive to do. Not to talk about myself, but to talk about Jesus as the Lord of all creation. And that's why we sing the song King Forevermore. It starts with God who is the creator. Secondly, we are called to look for the risen Christ, the resurrected Christ. What causes people to change? It's a question that I, the pastor, have wrestled with many, 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 many times. I was just talking to a young lady uh, some weeks ago. And she said, oh, I'm a Christian. I go to church. But now I don't go to church because I have to work on Sundays. And she's not really enthusiastic about church at all. She's more interested in uh, getting a boyfriend, uh, getting uh, money saved, passing her exams. What changes people to become joyous Christians and who love the Lord? 
If you look through throughout scripture, there is only one answer. They need to see the risen Christ. Good works will not save you. Trying harder won't save you. And this is found here. Verse 20. After he said this to the disciples, he showed them his hands and sides. And the disciples' attitude changed immediately. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. What causes people to change is when they see Jesus in his resurrected power. Why? Let me tell you, death is the greatest obstacle in this life. Why? Martin Luther says it right. Death, unlike any other thing in this world, is not a phase that you go through. Every other or most other things that you go through is a phase. Poverty is a phase. Unemployment is a phase. It doesn't mean that you're unemployed. You will always be unemployed. There may come a day where you walked out of the phase of unemployment. Money is a phase. You may have money today, but tomorrow the stock market may crash and you will be on the, uh, on the dough on the, in Centrelink. A setback is a phase. A failure is a phase. You may come out of it again. But death is the only thing that's different. It's not a phase. You can never get out of death and back again onto this earth. When you die, you're just gone. It's the greatest challenge in this life because the probability of death is still a hundred. Everybody still dies. The greatest obstacle is death. And Jesus comes and says, I have conquered death. Look at my hands. Look at the nail scars of my hands. And when the disciples saw that, their whole lives were changed. From fear, they became overjoyed. Why? Because they saw the Lord. What causes people to change? When we realize how powerful Jesus is. How much He loves us. That's what causes people to change. What can I tell that young lady who's not interested in church and anything about Christ? I can't say anything. She needs to see Christ for herself. And how great Jesus is. And that's why when we come to church every Sunday, look for the risen Christ. Because the world will not give you the risen Christ. The world will give you the picture of the crucifixion. will show you the picture of suffering. They will show you a picture of hopelessness. They will show you a picture that you are a failure. When we come to church, look for the risen Christ. He is powerful. I remember when we were in China and we took a bus trip um, with the tour group up a mountain. The path up the mountain was very steep and we were told that there were 99 turns up the mountain. And the road was so narrow that uh, it was supposed to be one-way one traffic, but they had two buses coming on the opposite direction. It was uh, scary to see how they maneuver and try to share that narrow road. So we asked our bus driver, are you sure that you can get us up there in one piece? And the bus driver said, I have driven the same route in the winter at night when the roads are dark. And now it's not winter and it's not nighttime. And in the winter, there are black eyes everywhere. Snow would cover my entire windscreen. And I would drive the same route eight or nine times a day. And over 40 years, I've never had an accident. So you can trust me. 
And that's what Jesus is saying to us. I've been through the greatest obstacle and it's death. Which is not even a phase that you can go through and walk through and, and come out alive. No, no, no. You can trust me. It's when we see that vision of Christ. We are changed. Thirdly. When we come to church. Do not just come blindly. Look for Jesus the creator. Look for Jesus the resurrected Christ. But we come to church to be reminded again each week that we are representatives of this creator God. In the first creation, when God created men and women, God did something very special. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 tells us that after God created men, God did something that he didn't do to other animals in creation. God did what? He breathed into the nostrils of man his ruach. His breath, his spirit. Because why? Because God wanted human beings to be different than the animals of this world. We are called to carry God's spirit in the sense that we are supposed to be representatives of the creator. And that's what Adam and Eve were called to do. But instead of reflecting and representing God throughout creation, they represent, represented sin and, and their own selfishness. And that was the, uh, the ruin of human beings because of sin. But in this new creation, it is not surprising, therefore, we read verse 21. Verse 21 says, Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. It's the same commission that, that God gave Adam and Eve. And when he breathed on them, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is doing the same thing that God did in the first creation. Jesus now gives to us the Holy Spirit to do what? I am sending you to be representatives of him in this world. To tell the people that we do not need to fret. To tell the people that there is a creator who has died to us. Uh, to tell the people that there is a creator who offers forgiveness. And that's what verse 23 is about. If you forgive any other one's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Well, this verse, just for a, uh, a sidetrack a little bit, uh, is a very famous and popular verse among Roman Catholics. Do you know why? For centuries, the Roman Catholic Church have hijacked this verse. Why? Because it says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. They use this verse to argue for the authority of the priests to grant absolution. If you remember, we did a class on, Revelation, on the Catholic Church last year. The Catholic uh, people have uh, hijacked this verse and says, Okay, now because of this verse, all priests can now grant forgiveness to anyone who repents, who comes for confessions. But this is to take that verse out of its context. Because the context here is not about us or the power of the priests. It's about Jesus. It's about creation language. This is creation language. If you do not read creation language into this verse, you will make a mess out of it. Because here it's not about the priest and its power, but it's about us and about being commissioned by God right now, the Creator, to bring His message to the world. So how are we to become representatives of this Creator? How are we? We are supposed to tell this world that everything that we have belongs to the Creator. 
Because the world, what the world does is everything I have is mine. My money is mine. My possessions is mine. But we are representative of the Creator. That means that everything that we have is on loan to us. It belongs to the Creator. Nowadays, I don't watch TV because I don't think there is anything helpful out there bringing us towards holiness. But when I was in the U.S., there were several television programs that were very popular. And these uh, television programs often revolved around women who were extremely unhappy with their husbands. So they make shows out of these uh, unhappy women. And they try to put a humorous spin to it. Um, and many people watch it, get good uh, 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 showings because it was humorous. Where these women sit around or through a sitcom, they will try to bring down their husbands and, and make a joke out of it. And I always ask myself, why? Why, do, why are this, these women so bitter? Why are these women so negative about their husbands? And I think the answer is this. They think that their husbands belong to them. They're like gadgets. And they need to maneuver them, shape them in ways that they want. And the husbands don't follow their shape. They get angry, they talk about it, they make jokes about it. But we are representatives of the Creator. We need to realize that your husband, your wife, does not belong to you. He or she is on loan to you. Your children does not belong to you. belongs to God. And because God created them unique, you need to treat them uniquely. You need to be graceful and, and merciful and full of grace that God in His great mercy gave you someone. So when you are really representatives of the Creator, it changes how you treat people, how you treat your spouse, how you treat your children. But the truth of the matter is this, we are often forgetful. That's why every Sunday we come back to be reminded that it's not we that we live for, but it's God, that everything belongs to the Creator, that everything that we have is out of God's grace. And so that's why we take up a special offering. I have to bring this in somehow. Um, we take up a special offering this Sunday. It's an expression of saying, the money you give to me, it's only temporary. I may be 70 years old. How long do you think God will give you? Another 10 years? What is 10 years? 3,000 days. Is it 3,000 days? 3,000 days. And it's gone. We are alone. Everything's alone. <coughs> So by saying thank you to God and putting an offering to God, saying it doesn't belong to me. We need that reminder. That's why we come every Sunday. Look out for God. Look out for opportunities to be representative of the Creator. It makes you more gracious. I like how the Bible describes Stephen. He's described as a man full of grace. And we often forget. Two weeks ago, I attended our FECA annual conference. One of the speakers was Dr. Gary Miller. Dr. Gary Miller was telling us a story about a time when he was invited to speak in England. Um, so he traveled from the Brisbane, from Queensland uh, to England. 
So he was, uh, this was all paid for. Uh, he was invited there to speak. So the, the church there paid for his travels. And very surprisingly, when he received his air ticket, he, had, he was given the opportunity to fly business class. And he was telling us that it was the first time in his life that he had to fly business class. And he was so grateful when he got into the plane because every time you know you just walk past the business class and you walk to the to the tiny little cabin behind where everybody's squeezed together as sardines. But this time he got the big seat, and he got the seat upstairs because it was too level to the plane. So he got the seat upstairs, business class. He could lie down. It was fabulous. And when he was there, he was so grateful. This doesn't belong to him. He didn't have to pay a cent. He was so grateful, was so full of grace, uh, so grateful to God that he could fight business class at least once in his life. But on the way back, when he finished his talk there in London, he flew back to Queensland. He flew back business class too. You see, there are two stories to business class. On the way there, he sat at the upper level. On the way back, he sat at the lower level. The lower level is kind of a tad inferior, you know, it's a tad inferior. So he was really upset. Why? I'm in business class. Why can't I sit on top? Why do I have to sit underneath? You know, it's, it's the same level as the people in the economy. Oh dear. Then he started to realize how quick he has forgotten. He did not pay a cent to be there. But because he had tasted the goodness one time, he took for granted that the business class seat belongs to him. And he has a right now to be angry because he wants to sit upstairs, not below. Why must he sit below and not upstairs? Our heart is evil. We get so influenced by this world. One taste of the goodness of this world, we forget that we're here by grace. Everything that we have, we cannot be proud of. We cannot show, say, oh, I'm so rich, I'm so, I have this, I have that. Because everything is given to us by God's grace. And why do we need that reminder? Because we are evil in the heart. We get so easily and be enamored by the things of this world, just like Gary Miller. He forgot. Just one trip, and he forgot. So when you come to church, be reminded again that nothing belongs to us. We are here by the grace of God. So come to church. Don't come blindly. Come with eyes open to see the Creator. Father, we come before you this morning. Realize that we need to be reminded again. Reminders are not bad. They're godly. That's why we repeat the Lord's Supper Every Sunday, they're godly. Our hearts are evil. We forget grace easily. We forget mercy easily. We forget and we get angry because we think it's ours. Why am I not in, upstairs in business class? We get upset easily. That's why you call us week after week to come. That's why we put priority every Sunday to come, to be reminded again of grace. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper every Sunday, to be reminded again of your grace. So Father, we come before you this morning on this church building anniversary Sunday to pause again.
to ask ourselves what do we look out for God has given us 1,144 glimpses over the past and you may have wasted those 1,144 glimpses don't waste it this morning you've never seen Jesus as your creator as the resurrected Christ this is the morning that you see that you open your life to him and say God I accept you again accept you in my life as my savior as my Lord so father we just want to come before you and put all things aside in this holy moments as we gather in your presence come to us open our hearts again to you open our eyes to you in Jesus name